Welcome to Kites and Strings, the podcast where we explore creativity, balance, and the tension that exists as we find our creative selves. My name is Steve Keen, a musician, songwriter, a creative type, who makes his living as a therapist and trainer consultant in Chicago. Like me, my co-host Catherine Shinnock is a registered art therapist, a licensed clinical professional counselor, and is from Chicago, Maine. She's a visual artist who has expanded her creative exploration into circus and aerial arts, and she's recently left Chicago for New York City to practice and create in the Big Apple. On the surface, sometimes it seems as if we serve very different clientele, and it seems our clients, like many, struggle with either recognizing their creative parts or reacquainting themselves with their creative self. We may mention our professional therapist lives from time to time, but in this podcast, we mostly explore our own perspectives on living creatively, and hopefully we'll shed light on the many facets of the arts, being a creative, and living a balanced, fulfilled life. This is episode number five, and to be honest, this was not even scheduled to be an episode. Catherine and I had met to test audio and work out the bugs of doing the show remotely. But we jumped into some interesting conversation about our creative endeavors. We particularly explored how creative outputs have changed as we surpassed four months living largely in quarantine. And we look at anxiety and other emotions as they certainly have impacted on how we, and I think all of us, are moving forward. As is typical, we land squarely on the idea that there is tremendous value to grabbing that string and flying that kite. What was, oh, you had a, a topic. I feel like I've had a fair amount of conversations with people about the ebbs and flows of creative energy, especially throughout quarantine, yeah. throughout yeah. COVID. Like reflecting on that myself and then like, uh, just hearing you're staying up editing until two o'clock in the morning, like how, how that, how when we're in a creative space that can generate its own energy, sometimes it can generate its own energy and keep us up. I would imagine if you're not working on this, you're probably not staying up until 2am. I'm doing something else. <laughs> I'm either writing music or playing music, or if I get six hours of sleep a mm -hmm. night, I'm good because I take a nap every afternoon. That's the life. So, there's there's that COVID quarantine life. No, that was my life before too. <laughs> I'm really good at taking that 10 or 15 minute nap. Once you start creating, it almost develops its own energy and its own momentum and then it keeps you going mm -hmm. and can suck you in and you really, all of a sudden you lose track of time, right? You become so, I would say that in those moments, you're so like mindfully present that the awareness of space and time kind of goes out the window. You're mindfully present in that. In the creation, in the creating, the creating process. And we've talked about this a little bit too. There's this other piece of like just... The momentum to get it going, mm -hmm. creating requires energy to start with. There has to be some, something. It's like pedaling a bicycle, you know, there's something that gets it started and then it kind of takes on on its own. And what I've been thinking about for myself is like, okay, I kind of like adapted to this quarantine thing pretty quickly. It was like, go home, stay home. Don't talk to people. Don't leave your house. Like, this is it. This is great. And I was like, all right, you've given me a very clear instruction. I'm in, I'm settled, I'm good to go. And I was like, really like making a lot mm -hmm. at the beginning. And I've had some ebbs and flows throughout. But what I noticed over like the last, I don't know, maybe like three weeks as 
things are starting to open up more and we've started we've started this process of like coming out mm -hmm. of lockdown that I've struggled a lot more with creating and I've seen that be kind of concurrent to an increase in my anxiety of like trying to figure out like what are, what are we supposed to be doing so working in New York and in Chicago Chicago opened things faster than New York did but now New York's got things open that Chicago doesn't mm -hmm. and so not just hearing this whole spectrum of people people who are like I'm not leaving my house until there's a vaccine right. to people who are like I went to Florida last Last week <laughs> what? Right. so so I've got that range of people and then I've got city ranges of people like Chicago New York that it's been really unsettling for me and I haven't been able to find like my ground or my bearing mm. and in that I'm like man I wish in that moment I could have really used my artwork to be a container to be grounding for me mm -hmm. but instead what I found is that I was so unsettled it would be like trying to like pick up a pencil and do a detailed drawing while on like a sailboat in the middle of choppy waters. It didn't even, it didn't feel right. But I needed for the waters to settle before I could actually then open up and start to make again. Well, and I think that's the feeling safe. Yeah. If you're being chased by a large cat, you don't stop and think about your grocery list. You mean like a tiger or a lion? Yes. Not like yeah. my 20 pound right. large Right, not cat. that large cat, right. <laughs> If, you, if you're fearful, you're not stopping and putting together, you know, your grocery list. You're not even thinking about your grocery list while you're running. It's like kids that go to school in bad neighborhoods. Right, right. It's hard to think about math when mom's at home getting beat up, your brother's targeted by a gang, and there's a kid mean mugging you and saying they're going to kick your ass after school. Mm -hmm. We, I think we do need to secure that safe place, but I think it's also beneficial to do some of that reflection on, on those moments recognize when I'm not feeling safe. Yeah. Well, so so how about those people that have been gold star students who are like, I have done all of these things. I've learned another language and I've done all of this. How do we explain that person's sense of safety or lack thereof and how they're so productive and they're generating so much? I think there's some people that when they get anxious, they do. Mm. Right. It's kind of like mm -hmm. the, 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 which, which character has the big clock in Alice in Wonderland? I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. The With white the... rabbit. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, hurry up, look busy, do something. Yeah. Or like when people feel anxious, they clean or they build a shelf. I love building shelves. It's like all of a sudden things are that much more organized. And that's something you do when you're anxious. And I think some people, when they're anxious, they go to something that has bring comfort to them. And that is schoolwork and these things that they're just used to going to. So I'm channeling my anxiety then into productivity, into something tangible. I can feel a sense of achievement or accomplishment. And that gives me organization and grounding. Right. As opposed to getting kind of lost in the abyss of anxiety yeah and and i think they post it because they want to be engaged in that feedback loop right so think of how people like kids that grew up in neglectful homes they don't get any feedback because they've learned that right, right, right. if you do well on this you're going to get a smiley face or a star or a hundred percent or an a and that's a reliable feedback loop mm -hmm. feedback you know i like that better than external validation mm -hmm. yeah feedback loop sounds much softer sometimes it doesn't need to be you know a good job or a star it's just being recognized. Yeah, it's attachment cycle. Mm -hmm. It's the attachment cycle much more than like, I, I feel like there's a societal judgment for 
oh, I need external validation. It's like, no, I need to know that I'm seen. I need to, to know that I'm valuable and worthy. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, I, I, it's interesting. Like, again, just thinking about people I've talked to throughout this process, reflecting on my own experiences, my own periods of increased productivity, which are probably, there have definitely probably been times that the, my productivity has been a little bit of that channel for anxiety and manifestation or mm-hmm. of anxiety. Now you've got me thinking on how my creative cycle matches my, like my movement through the window of tolerance, where when I'm more anxious, I'm making more. And when I'm stuck, I don't know. I don't know. couple things of note here. We're recording in our respective homes rather than a soundproof studio. So please accept the intermittent bird chirps. It's just a bonus. There's also a slight shift here to my creative process. And for those that are not aware, I founded and developed the Trailmix Acoustic Music Fest five years ago. And this year's event, sponsored by the Wexler Group, actually had to be canceled. So I've sort of been keeping it alive through a new Facebook group called South South Music Live. That's what I'm referencing here. Do you have the list of creative projects, the things that you've maybe started or dabbled in a little bit, but none of it's completed. So you've got like 10 incomplete projects over here, and then you've got one over here. And how do you, how do you manage? I don't have like that many projects that just get completed, Like, like the podcast. It's uh-huh. not complete. I mean, I'll complete an episode, yeah, but then yeah. there's another one. And then there's all the thoughts that are in between, like, okay, let's work on the website. Let's do all these other things. And I think it's going to be this thing that we're going to get to a place where it's sustained and we get a regular schedule going, but it won't be completed. The same thing with this South Sub Music thing that, that I'm developing. Um, and it's bore out of Trail Mix, the, the music fest. So it's like, well, how do we keep Trail Mix alive? So I created the South Sub Music Live. And it's online open mics and online concerts. And what we're going to transfer that to is make it sustainable. And we're developing a model where people can use Patreon and they become members. And at a price of varying tiers, they get certain levels. But at the minimum price of like five bucks a month, it secures them two tickets at a socially distanced backyard concert in the community. Oh, nice, nice. We're going to do these guerrilla style secret private concerts every quarter. I love this path we're down because what you're telling me is you, you indulge in creative projects that don't have a completion. They're never done because there, there's always another thing to be making around it, which is really different than say like, doing a painting. I think planning an event is very much a creative endeavor. Even Trail Mix is an annual music fest. Yes, there's the big, oh, we completed 2019. And then there's a relaxation, but it's still kind of in my mind, how do we keep this brand alive? So is there a sense of satisfaction and productivity at the end of an event? definitely. And that's the, we talked about this, if it's being just good enough at a golf game, Right, if it goes off right. just well enough, we'll do it again. And if it doesn't, then we'll, you know, lick our wounds. And I'm part of the creation is identifying those folks that are into this enough and they like the idea enough that they will help sustain it. So I, when I say it's not just me, it's we with these various things. 
Yeah, it's really interesting because I'm trying to like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, gosh, do I have anything that is the, the never ending creative project? How would you look at your visual art? Schizophrenic. It's <laughs> if you look at the bigger picture of it, right? If you look at, mm-hmm. I'm going to do maybe a series of artwork. Yeah, I don't think yeah, that Well, way. maybe you do an artwork, but then after a while, you look at your last seven or eight, and you're like, there's definitely a, a series here, right? Yeah. There's a theme that brings them together. When you step back and look at the more macro. Totally. That happens all the time, but there's never this sense of like, oh, I just did this painting, and now uh, next month, I'm going to do another one, and it's linked to this somehow, or it's somehow connected or associated with it. They, they all function as standalone until I put them together, and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. well, there they go. And every once in a while, there will be, like I did one last night that was building off of some, some previous ones. It was kind of like merging some ideas. But I, I like the distinction of like the standalone and the, the reward of finishing that. And then the like self-perpetuating. So even you as an artist, mm-hmm. right? You may complete a, a painting and you know that's not your last painting. Sure. So you know there's going to be another one. But it's like almost like when you think of yourself as an artist. Yeah. You're feeding your identity as an artist. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever thought of it that way. Yeah. I just, I just make stuff because I just make stuff. And I think when I when I try or when I move into that place of like marketing or branding, it gets, it gets a little, my, my art changes. I, I had this conversation with someone over Instagram, someone I've never met and I followed their photography and all of a sudden they posted a picture and I was like, whoa, this, this is like not what I associate with you. So I went back and looked at their whole feed. We actually had a really nice conversation back and forth where they do really kind of like dark photography, which they identified as their passion photography. Um, I got into their work because they do a lot of photography of aerialists and dancers, like these people with imperfect physiques. And then when I looked at their website, something that is thanks to the Instagram algorithm has, I don't think ever shown up in my feed. They do like headshots, like news reporter headshots. And the way we kind of talked about it and broke it down is there's survival driven art and passion driven mm-hmm. art. Well, it's kind of like the single yeah. and the deep cut. <laughs> Back when they used to create whole albums. Okay, this will be the uh-huh. single. This is the shit we really want to play, right? Right, right, right. This is, this is the thing that's going to make us the money. Bobby McFerrin's, what was the song? Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Oh my God. <laughs> the, the crap that he's now required to play at every damn concert. Okay, so we went down the path of talking about artists and how they make money with their art. And that certainly is valid for a few. But what about creating for most of us? And what does doing art do for the psyche? How does it tap into our emotions? What are our emotions and why do we have them? To get to that, we revisit the ebb and the flow of creating while in pandemic. Ebbing and flowing and how creating is connected to either a sense of safety or and or a grounding point for anxiety or a container or a sublimation of your anxiety if I want to get all Freud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. I mean, because there's been all sorts of studies and research that talks about how people in dire, dire situations, horrible, unimaginable living conditions still create. 
they still find there's that need that some type of internal sort of this is how I'm going to control it's kind of like the Viktor Frankl you know while in the concentration camps had the three pebbles Mm -hmm. that he moved around Mm -hmm. right and it, it was his way of saying you can control me in every other way but you aren't going to control this. So now we're talking about like creativity and making as like a direct expression of agency and power. So that's in those most dire situations and maybe maybe even in the not so dire situations. That's right. We're talking first world problems that drives us to go and do an amazing piece of artwork. Yeah, yeah. I think though there's there's danger in doing that comparison mm-hmm. that Yes, for first world problems, but I have to understand my lived context. And so if I don't give myself permission to experience the, the loss or the grief or the sadness of the anger, no matter how mu- how irrelevant it is in a greater world context, I'm repressing myself. And so I think it's it's what it's about is finding the right channel and the right venue for me to grieve my first world losses. Right. Yeah, no, I don't, I certainly, and I'm glad you brought that up. The last thing I want yeah. to do is stifle somebody like, oh man, I can't draw because there's starving children and, you know. <laughs> yes, you know, yes, yes, um, yes. I think there is need for us all to, take a look at that stuff that does bring us pain and and find a way to create around it it makes helps us make sense of it in a very cognitive level but it also just feels good it can feel bad to like make your pain but then feel good to be rid of it yeah to be rid of it and to then have some control over it oh yeah, yeah 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 to say okay Yes, this was painful, but I was in control of the pain. Right. I I, I worked. Uh, so I think the other piece is like flowing with it instead of fighting it. Mm-hmm. Where if I'm feeling pain and I'm trying or, or whatever, right? And I'm trying to like deny it or repress it. I, I'm put, applying force against it. But if I give my pain a channel to flow through, mm-hmm. it can it can move through me. Because as we know, mm-hmm. emotions just move. Right, right. No emotion is going to be with you forever. So if I if I allow it to move, it'll move maybe faster. I guess we're respecting it too. Honoring it is the word that yeah. I use a lot. Like honor honor your emotions. Like right. treat treat them with respect instead of like shoving them in a box in the corner and pretending they don't exist. And I'll ask clients, well, why do we have emotions? And and oftentimes I'll get cockeyed look as if you just made a high pitched noise in front of a dog. And, and I'll say, well, they're kind of our messengers. When you twist your ankle, it hurts like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. That pain is telling you to do something. Yeah, yeah. Telling you to not put weight on it. It's telling you to put it up. It's telling you to check your your mental Rolodex, if we can use that term nowadays, and to put it up and put ice mm-hmm. on it because it hurts. Mm-hmm. And if you don't listen to that, you're being foolish. And it can't be a little tiny come up and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, by the way, you hurt your ankle. It has to hurt like hell. Otherwise, we don't pay attention to it. Right, right. And then if it swells up like a grapefruit and it still hurts three hours later, now fear has kicked in. So that's telling us to do something. So the the intensity of the pain also dictates the intervention, right? Is it a Band-Aid or is it a trip to the ER? Right. Which also applies to emotions, right? Is it an emotional pain that requires a band-aid or is it an emotional pain that requires a, a trip to the ER? And then 
you know, as therapists, I think what we do a lot is help people learn what they can do to manage pain, but also look at like, oh, is this proportionate to the situation that caused it? You stubbed your toe. Should you be in the ER? Right. And looking at what factors may have gone on that would make a stubbed toe send the pain messenger of, oh my gosh, trip to the ER. Because mm -hmm. that happens. And I, you know, like that happens sometimes as a byproduct of life. Okay, we really did not plan to plug Catherine's book here. But as we got to talking about clients and what can essentially be called emotional intelligence, it just seemed to fit in. So go check it out. It's on Amazon. It's called Feelings Are Complicated Fuckers. It's like a children's book for adults about feelings. We probably both have clients that disappear for a while and they come back mm -hmm. because they've gotten what they needed for a while and they feel good and the things are going well and then they're, they're, they're hit with something else mm -hmm. and they're coming back and that's perfectly fine. For sure. It's that whatever the situation is now is maxing out my capacity to handle it. I saw a big like circle back of people a few weeks into quarantine. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Where people are reaching out and they're like, I need help. But feelings are like, feelings are complicated. Yeah. What, would, what was your book? Feelings are complicated fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that book still out there and available? It is available on Amazon. It's normalizing the experience we have of emotion, mm -hmm. we have to have this variety of ways of dealing with it. And there are certain situations where like an environment dictates what kind of skill we have to use, right? If mm -hmm. I'm going and I'm delivering a presentation to the board of directors at my company, I'm going to have to do some like containment and I'm just going to have to like shove that shit in a corner and push it off so I can go and like do my job and then come out and I can mm -hmm. the key is then I got to go back to that box of shit I shoved in the corner right otherwise it becomes this thing that's lurking in the back of your mind like the leftover you don't want to visit because you know there's something moldy and smelly back there yeah. So you avoid that thing. It's like, oh God, then I'm going to be faced with the decision. And then it's going to smell. Open it. Yeah. Do I throw away the Tupperware? You always throw away the Tupperware. <laughs> we all have a Tupperware full of mold in our emotional refrigerator. <laughs> and isn't this beautiful? You know, what, what kills mold? But light. You shed light on it. I, I like to think that I'm going to open my mold one day and I'm going to realize it's penicillin and be like, damn it, I should have opened this like ages ago, but then it wouldn't have been penicillin. If I keep it back there long enough, it'll become really useful to me. And, and maybe that's true. The therapist, I'm supposed to say that's not true. But when I think about it from like more of a like spiritual framework, I believe that what I need will come to me when I need it. You never lose sight of the fact that it's back there. Yeah. And if you're making the decision to not really roll up your sleeves and, and dig your hands into it right now, that's fine. You know, I think what you said, that's the key is knowing, always knowing it's there. Yeah. Always knowing it's there. And, and there are some days where there's like, I know it's, I know that Tupperware needs to be cleaned out, but there's no fucking way I'm even touching that. And there's other days where I've already got on my like dish gloves and the garbage goes out in like a minute. So like, all right. You've created that environment that can, can contain it. For sure. Yeah. And and you and, and it takes some effort and energy to do that. And we need to psych ourselves up for it. So there you have it. That's our episode. 
I think we tapped into some pretty important stuff here. And hopefully there's something that was in there that helps you understand your own ups and downs, your own emotions. And that also helps you garner the energy to either tackle the leftovers that are moldy in the back of your own emotional refrigerator, or to at least acknowledge that they are there. Certainly, seek professional help as needed, but also know that one of the ways to help you conquer them is to grab that string and fly that kite. You can look for us on the web at kitesandstrings.com or on Facebook. If you have comments, questions, or you simply want to share how you found your own balance and manage tension through being creative, please email us at kitesandstringspodcast at gmail.com. The Kites and String theme song is by Harrison Amir, and all original music comes from the talented folks at Purple Planet Music at purpleplanet.com. Today's podcast was produced and edited by me, Steve Plume, at Turning Stones Counseling. Be safe.